U.S. equities are rolling on this Monday. Russell 2000 now up over 2%. NASDAQ not too far behind. We just talked crude and some of the commodities. Let's talk some companies as we go into the final moments of the trading session. John Cunison joins us from Baker Boyer. He's the vice president and chief investment officer. John, let's go straight to your picks because we were just talking about the price of the corn commodity up 50% the last year. And you're like, Kellogg, they use a lot of corn. Is that a problem? Yeah, it, it was certainly a problem when that was uh, when that was a thing that was not known and priced in by the market. Um, but we've got a company like Kellogg where you know the price reflects that higher corn price. The other thing I think to remember about a company like Kellogg is you know Kellogg has done a very very good job of building a stable of incredibly strong brands, and it's that brand power that allows them to deal with inflationary pressure like we're like we're seeing with corn. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is when you look at the final price of a Kellogg product that is made with corn, some smaller fraction of that, you know, uh, that entire price is, is the actual price of the commodity. So I think overall you're looking at a price for Kellogg, which reflects a lot of the, you know, the news on commodities that you're, you're describing. One of the things that um, I wonder about Kellogg is when I look at some of the staples during the early COVID onset, the real kind of height of the pandemic in early last year, a lot of these consumer staples uh, items were gobbled up and hoarded. And the stock prices for some of these staples was pretty impressive. Uh, unusual top line sales growth we saw. Kellogg though has kind of just fizzled out. Uh, so if the brand powers are so good, how come people didn't keep stocking up? I mean, I'm looking at the staples group trading at all time highs here. Kellogg's lag behind. Yeah, and, and I think a part of that is is fear of some of that, that underlying commodity pressure. Um, and, you know, if we look at the, the whole of a company and the stable of brands that it's built, you know, our argument would just simply be that, you know, the cash flows looking forward for a company like Kellogg are going to be strong enough to weather the storm. It just looks like an attractive uh, company at the price where it's currently trading. I guess the big question for Kellogg is, did something happen here for the branding? Because I think that's the key part, right? Because even before COVID, the bearish narrative on Kellogg was the young people are not eating cereal. This is now had to be spun as like a snack for, I guess now I'm like the old timer because I, I, I got it sitting in my cupboard for a snack. But apparently that's not the popular thing. I mean, have they been able to rebrand and actually turn into a potential growth story like a secular driver for the business well they certainly have and you know i i think and they're not alone there's companies like pepsi that have really taken a look at right. some of the the trends that we see in consumer tastes which are toward things that are a little healthier um than we've seen in the past a little less sugar laden perhaps um of course that's a conversation we're having in our house all the time um, but and they're certainly doing that. So I think they are making these shifts in their in their overall brand lineup to align with consumer tastes, um, like again, like some of the other sort of big names in that space. Okay. Um, and I think they're doing you know a good job of it, particularly uh, given you know the valuation where they're currently trading, which as you alluded to, um, is is somewhat lower than some of their peer group.
All right, it's time for a turnaround. Uh, I can get on board with it. I'll eat the cereal if somebody needs to. John, let's talk a little bit of uh, Merck and Biopharma and the cancer space in particular, because Pfizer made some waves, spending a couple billion on uh, a Trillium today. And it made us talk about Merck this morning, because pre-COVID, everything to do with these big pharma companies was all about oncology. You like Merck, uh, but the shares, it seems, have fallen behind as the market's been hyper-focused on vaccines. Yeah, and I, I think a big part of that was the fact that, you know, when you look at a company like Merck, where a lot of its lineup is really hospital-based, a lot of its drugs uh, are, are hospital-based sales. And through the pandemic, we just had fewer people, you know, going into the hospital uh, for treatment. Um, there was, you know, avoidance, you know, unless you really had to go in. So I think that really did hurt uh, Merck's revenue, and I think that's reflected in in the prices that we see today. Um, you know, like a lot of pharma companies, their future going forward is going to be what kind of patent protection do they have, what kind of new drugs do they have, and how will those line up? And right now, when we look at Merck, we see a company that has, you know, plenty of patent protection. Some of the drugs that were really challenged have rolled off, um, and that those new drugs coming to market um, look, you know, very attractive. They do have their risks, you know, one of which is they're, you know, fairly dependent on a, a couple of, you know, blockbusters for the bulk of their revenue. And, uh, and that's a risk as it is with many pharma companies. All that considered, I think their price today relative to ca expected cash flow is quite strong. Mm. All right. So a uh, core pipeline, it's still top, uh, top tier and ready for some recognition from the market. Two very different businesses, but uh, similar kind of fundamental cases about underappreciation. John, thanks for explaining it to us and thanks for the bold case here, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Oliver. Absolutely. John's Vice President and Chief Investment Officer at Baker Boyer.